What is going on, guys? It's this is Eric from Creeps in the Crypt, and I am joined by Sam, Christian, and we're here for our final Vamptober episode. Oh my god! I know it's flown by. It really has. I feel like every year just gets faster and faster, and I don't get to enjoy spooky season as much as I normally would. October pieced out like it had somewhere to go. So did September. I felt like we were done with like the the just random spooky episodes as quick as we started them. Yeah. And then this is like just over in a flash in a pan. It's it's fucking crazy. Time flies when you're being creepy. <sighs> Time flies in general. That's like fuck. True. I feel like it was just like I saw the I saw the gleam in Sam's eyes. She's like, "Time flies when you're being creepy." I feel like it was just a few weeks ago since we were doing all the Jeffrey Dahmer shit. Yeah, I feel like that was like two weeks ago. Yeah, that's what it feels like. I was like, "Oh, that was just you know, not even a month ago." But it was fucking June when we did that. It was even we crazy. did Dahmer in June. Yeah, yes. the end of June and the beginning of July. Yep. I can't unpack Fucking that. Fucking right crazy, now. right? <laughs> I don't have the capacity to unpack that. That Dahmer was in June. Wait, well, we also start, started spooky season. What in September? Yeah. Well, that's when spooky season starts. Yeah, that's our spooky season. So September one is it? Like, let's just talk about the fact that when this episode comes out, right? Yeah. It'll be this Friday. It'll be this Friday. It'll be the Friday before Halloween. Halloween. Yes. Um, I need all of you to just skeleton dance for us spooky we, scary yeah, skeleton make yeah. sure you guys are sharing the podcast for a spooky season we uh-huh. we couldn't do this without you guys like you guys motivate us to really come in here and do this shit every week I mean you're the ones who pay for you know the payroll for intern sale or intern <laughs> Lucy and executive producer sale of yeah, your downloads make them happy. So make sure you're downloading the podcast. Uh, we like to make the kitties happy. Yeah, share the show with your friends. That makes executive producer Salem real happy. He prefers that over frisky <laughs> treats any day. Uh, Lucy's not old enough to have treats. so yeah, Her brain is full of uh, wows. Yeah, she just kind of runs around and helps with research and whatnot. I love her. She skitters. She's my emotional support researcher. (laughs) But we have a new review, guys. So this is from Labrat Jennifer. My favorite creeps. Five stars. Excellent podcast that warms my cold black heart. Salem and intern Lucy are devilishly delightful. Keep up the wonderful work. We appreciate you Aww. so, so much. That that comment made my day, because that's the first one that mentioned Salem and Lucy. Aww. Out of, like, I think we have 10 actual, like, verbal reviews. Yeah. And that's the one that mentions them. But if you guys want your reviews read, if you haven't left us one yet, and to the people that have, thank you so fucking much, uh, make sure you leave us one on Apple Podcasts. That's what gets it read on the show. But also, if you are on Spotify, we do appreciate you if you leave a five-star review. It really helps us out. And make sure you're downloading the episodes. It's fucking great. So, this episode, we're going back across the pond. Damn. Ferry boat. Steamboat. So, this is like one of the 
most well-known vampire stories, I would say, in the UK. Mm. It's it's old school, borderlining urban legend meets like fiction, but a lot of people say it happened. A lot of people say it happened. So, Sam, without further ado, if you could uh, introduce us to this week's tale of terror. So, for our season finale of Vamptober, we are diving into the Vampire of Croglin Grange. And it is a strange tale of villagers breaking open vaults determined to destroy the beast of vampiric bats flying out of churchyards of vampiric corpses burnt next to sacred holly bushes of an escaped asylum inmates of bitter religious conflict and a and starving circus monkeys rampaging through the cumbrian landscape this sounds like an amazing episode of american horror story it's it really got, does it's got everything <laughs> I'm here for it. Like, this story is so on just, it's so well fucking written. And it's really nothing more than bar talk. It's literally like the author of this this book called The Story of My Life. Uh, it's Augustus Hare is who tells the story in his book called The Story of My Life. But... It is literally his conversation with a, a dude at a bar, essentially a pub. And this isn't the only ghost story that was told that night, but this is the one that involves vampires. And that's why I picked this one out for this week. I'm here for it. Um, it's an amazing story. It's got everything you would want out of a vampire tale, but we're going to get into the story and then we're going to get into the scrutiny. The story picked up. So, <laughs> Without further ado, Sam, let's uh, let's move forward into the Vampire of Croglin Grange. So it is also a tale that ends with a bricked-up window festooned with lucky horseshoes, an alteration designed to stop the entry of any similar creatures. Very Casco Montanaldo. Yes, it is. I'm also getting my seasonal weather change cold. So I had mine last week. One nostril is clear, sort of, and then the other one is not. So, it's... Sam has spooky nostrils. I do. One's leaking. It's haunted. It's haunted. Ectoplasm. (laughs) He has a haunted nostril. It could be the color of ectoplasm. I'm not really sure yet. Who knows? Nothing has come out. If you need a tissue, just let us know. I will. She's got issues. Here's a tissue. Salem had a cold last week, so... It's, it's only rightfully so that you would have a cold this week. Of course. Adeline is also suffering from weather change cold. Mm. It's been fun in my house. Super fun. Mm. Claims have been made that the Croglin Grange vampire tale has over the years been embellished by both local folklore and excitable writers. A long series of researchers have queried, debunked, and rehabilitated the legend, then questioned it again. There have been accusations of plagiarism and of contamination from the copious Gothic horror stories 
and penny dreadfolds clattered out by the printing presses of the vampire-obsessed Victorian age. Earnest investigators have spent days tramping over the bleak Cumbrian countryside, interviewing locals, searching for the remnants of chapels, and poring over archives and property deeds. One early incarnation of the bloodsucker emerged in England during the 1800s when Augustus Hare told of the Crogland Grange vampire in his autobiography, Story of My Life. Augustus Hare claimed that Captain Fisher had told him a, quote, really extraordinary story connected with his own family. The Fisher family had had a long-standing presence of several hundred years in Cumberland at a place they called Crogland Grange. What's really fascinating about Augustus Hare's book is it was originally published in 1859. So this is 38 years before Bram Stoker's Dracula. This okay. is far before Dracula. Okay. okay. So. The family eventually grew out of their house. Thus, they decided to relocate to the south. But instead of leaving their property vacant, they chose to lease it out to paying tenants. The Fishers were extremely fortunate in their tenants they found, two brothers and a sister. Though Augustus doesn't name them, later sources give their surname as Cranswell with the brothers called Edward and Michael, and the sister is Amelia. Yeah, I'm not sure where they got the names from because the original telling just says it was two brothers and a sister. Yeah. But as we know, what happens with a lot of urban legends is shit gets added. Of course. But this is the most common names given to these these two brothers and a sister. Okay. We'll go with it. While Augustus doesn't give a date for their tenancy, it's assumed that they occupied the house at some point in the 1870s, as this was when the Fishers moved out. Winter came and went without incident. The following summer was a muggy one. On one oppressively hot night, the tenants took the opportunity to watch the moon before finally turning in. Amelia lay on her bed on the top of the covers and closed the bedroom window. The shutters remained unlocked, though. Unable to settle down to sleep in the heat, Amelia gazed out of her window. A church, complete with its own graveyard, stood behind a line of trees. Her eyes caught a glimpse of something concealed in twilight. Two flickering lights seemed to be moving among the copse of trees visible from her window. She was intrigued at first, but the longer she watched, the more nervous she began to feel. In a moment, both lights started to emerge from the tree line and into view. It looked as though the lights were a small part of a more substantial form, a humanoid form. As the figure approached the farmhouse, the startled and terrified young lady suddenly found the compulsion to act. Amelia raced to the door, arriving in just in time to unlock it. It seems as though this was not a moment too soon. As she fumbled at the lock, Amelia could hear a scratching sound coming from her bedroom window. Despite her growing terror, she dared one look backward. Standing outside the window, almost filling it, was a hideous face that had fierce, glaring eyes. Excuse me. Excuse me. My name is Peter, 
and I am suffering from prophyria. Uh, I know I seem like a vampire, but I, I have a sensitive sunlight, and I know it looks like I have fangs, and my gums are receding. I may piss what looks like blood, because people think I drink blood. And uh, I do have an inversion to garlic because of its sulfurous content. I do also avoid mirrors because my poor oxygenation leads to the destruction of my facial tissues and the collapse of my facial structure. I do not like to look into mirrors. I am turning into a corpse. <laughs> All vampires are red flags. That is actually a That's true... That's the red flag looks pretty green to me. That is a true disease of vampires, porphyria. Uh, it's a common misnomer. It's a misnomer about vampires is a lot of people that like were executed for vampirism suffered from porphyria. <laughs> it had bony fingers made... It's well, I'm sorry. It's bony fingers made efforts to open the window for a couple seconds before stopping. A new noise made Amelia freeze with even more fear. Whatever was outside the window was now picking at the lead seals of the window. No sooner had this sound rendered her immobile than another made her blood run cold. The window fell out. And one arm levered in to open the window from the inside. Unable to move or even raise an alarm, the thing moved quickly and was beside her in moments. Teeth nestling into her exposed neck, now she felt able to scream. Her shrieking alerted both of her brothers who came to investigate. After breaking down her door, the invader fled back the way it had come. Amelia's brother took up the pursuit but he was no match for the giant strides of the creature. It had disappeared beyond the wall of the churchyard. Amelia was bleeding quite heavily, but passed off her attacker as an escaped convict from a lunatic asylum. Given her ordeal and the fact that she regarded herself as a girl with very little superstition, it was perhaps an understandable conclusion. Amelia did recover from her wounds, but needed to recuperate. Dude, so, this is like a Fangbanger's dream. Except for the fact that this thing looks like an actual fucking Nosferatu. Yeah, I don't like that part. Yeah. I like my vampires no, Viking. You get you get fucking Nosferatu I don't sucking want that. on your neck in the middle of the night. No, I'm good. I'm good, fam. You, you, you don't, even if you got eternal life out of the deal? But am I sired to that thing? Well, of course. Then no. I don't want to be at you that thing. kinky sex with Nosferatu. Ew. No, thank you. Think of, I'm good. He's got really long fingers, Sam. If he doesn't look like Eric from True Blood, I don't want it. Well, that's not how this works. Well, then I don't want it. You're, you're going to get Nosferatu <laughs> finger banged. No, thank you. I eat enough garlic. How long are his bony fingers? Uh, I mean, they're very bony. Uh, I'd probably say at least enough that to make you more painful than pleasure. Enough though. to make you probably bust a nut. 
But if they're long and bony, that doesn't really. Yeah. Or bless a blood vessel. Yeah. Or he's just really bad at it, bad. so he's just going to wiggle it back and oh, forth inside no. of you. Just, eh. I, I don't have time to be teaching a vampire what to do. I am too old for that shit. Lick it counterclockwise. <laughs> I can't. He's like, is it. Are you menstruating, madam? Ew. Gross. Right. What's funny about that comment is no, a lot of the times in like comment. there's nothing exorcisms they ask the if a woman is afflicted with a demon they ask them if they're menstruating. I mean, well, it's a fair question, and I'm sure we'll that'll get brought back up in a later episode about exorcisms at some point. I mean, so. I am a different person whenever eat a Snickers. I don't want a Snickers when I'm menstruating. I want Reese cups. Don't fucking bring me well, Snickers. That's not, that's not how the commercial goes, Sam. I'm sorry. I don't give a fuck about the commercials. You get Nosferatu finger banged and you get a Snickers. That's, that's a it. horrible deal for me. I mean, Happy Snickers are good, but like Reese's. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Just to add on to my issues, it's totally fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's dandy. Everything's on fire. The three of them went to Switzerland so that she could completely recover. While there, Amelia yearned to return to Croglin. Despite the events that took place, she and her brothers still liked the area, and they were popular among the other residents. Well, plus they paid for, like... Supposedly, the story goes they paid for like seven years up front. What the fuck? Of rent. So, yeah, they paid for like a shitload of time up front. It was tenants. That's a big commitment. Well, back then, I'm sure rent wasn't as crazy as, as it is now, you know? Yeah, fuck that. The decision was Amelia's, and she decided to return, insisting that lunatics do not escape every day of the week. You dumb bitch. Right? This did. This probably does not age well. You dumb bitch. This, I can't, I, we wouldn't be talking about it if, it if it aged well. No. If this was the end and it was like, oh, that's it, we wouldn't be talking about it. So it clearly does not age well. Unless it does not. Something tells me the Nosferatu s creature will return. <gasps> Stay tuned. When they returned home, they spent another placid winter in Croglin. It was during the following March that Amelia began to hear the unmistakable scratching at her window once more. This time, she acted promptly and decisively, screaming for help before the same creature from before managed to gain access to her room. Why is she still in the same room? Like it did the bad thing. Because that was her room in in I've been moving that shit. Nope. Making my brother one of my brothers move. Nope. Which the house was a single story farmhouse with like a veranda that overlooked the the countryside. I don't care. So it's not like they had a lot of options. It wasn't like a two story deal. It's not like this vampire was floating in the air. It was like literally on the ground floor. Well, still. So at least make him work. Make him work for it. Put her in the attic. That works so well for the Ursuline convent. So, so well. Both of her brothers responded quickly, only this time they were armed. Her screams also forced the creature to flee, 
and it was headed back the way it had come when one brother took aim and fired. Despite being hit in its leg, the monster still made an escape. Only this time, the brothers were able to track it. The beast had taken refuge inside a crypt that belonged to a family from the area. The brothers decided against entering the crypt at the time and said they would gather a posse and investigate at daybreak. When they opened, yeah, because why would you go to a vampire's lair at nighttime? That's just... That's asking to get eaten. Yeah, it's like, this thing is legit right now. Like, we gotta wait till it's like daytime so we can stake this motherfucker. Well, yeah. Buffy style. It's a great show. I freaking love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Anyway, when they opened the tomb the following morning, they discovered several coffins. Only one of them was intact, but the lid was ajar and laying loosely on top of it. Inside was a corpse with a fresh bullet wound in one leg. They removed the body, brought it outside the crypt, and lit it on fire. This was the tale of the Croglin Grange vampire. Yeah, the fact that this corpse had a bullet wound in its leg. A fresh one. I'm not really sure what makes it fresh or how you can tell. It had fresh blood around it. But vampires bleed? Yeah. I mean, in true blood, they cry blood, so I guess that tracks. I don't know if true blood is a good indicator for vampire lore. Hey, at least she's not bringing up ghost adventures. Uh, you, you know what? That That's true. Or Twilight. Oh, thank fucking Christ. She's just talking about hot Viking vampires. Ugh. <laughs> Listen, you're going to have to pick one. Whatever, okay? gets, whatever gets you off, Sam. All three of them. Whatever you run the rabbit to, you know what I'm saying? But, yeah. Whatever makes you happy. Well, they all do, so... <laughs> Apparently not Nosferatu, though. No. Not that one. No German expressionist. Expressionism vampires, huh? No, no thank you. I'm good on that. Thanks for the offer, though. It's a great film. (laughs) Highly recommend it. It wasn't long, though, before the Kroglin vampire's status as a creature of genuine folklore began to be challenged. One writer of note who expressed skepticism was Montague Summers, who uh, was born in 1880 and died in 1948. That's a long-ass time. In the 1800s, yes. That's a long-ass time now, though. It was like 90-something, right? What was the dates again? 18... Oh, not... (laughs) I'm bad at math. He was... I was thinking like 80 or... (laughs) 68. I mean, my dad made it to 65 for fuck's sake. Yeah, 68. <laughs> I'm pretty. Summers was a highly eccentric character who posed as a Catholic priest, though there was no firm evidence that he was ever ordained. Sean Manchester. <coughs> <laughs> oh my God. Obsessed with witchcraft, vampires, and werewolves, all of which he claimed to literally believe in. He is literally like the 1800s version of Sean Manchester. Okay, but prove to me that they don't exist, though. I mean, we can't because we don't know. Exactly. So we can't say for sure that they do or don't. But this guy seems like the type that would, you know, go ransack a graveyard and be like, there's a vampire. 
Probably. I mean, Peter is on the loose. I wouldn't do that. So, yeah, no. Montague pr- produced the first English translation of the n- notorious 15th century witch hunter's guide, the Malleus Maleficarum. I want that book so bad, but it is $20,000. Even a copy of it is like... Well, the only copies that exist are the original copies. Yeah, nobody has made any other copies. Like, you can't go and buy that shit on the show. I mean, you can get like a like I guess reissue from a translation but like I want an original copy of the Malleus Maleficarum which translates to the witch's hammer which is just fucking awesome I want that shit maybe when this podcast blows up one day <laughs> you need the witch's hammer in here yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna like order you're a copy ca- of it you're gonna put that bitch in a fucking oh case. 100% glass case like bulletproof glass case, mm-hmm. fireproof. I don't even fucking care. Like that, that shit would be so cool to have. Well, there goes our insurance on our house. Oh, dude, if our house ever burns down, I'm buying the Malleus Maleficarum with the insurance money. Hate to break it to you. It burned down in our house. I swear we had it. Mm. Yeah. Despite Continue. Christian giving me ideas of insurance fraud. Um, (laughs) let's continue Montague was known for waltzing around the reading room of the British Museum in a black cloak and buckled shoes clasping a black portfolio with vampires written upon it in large blood red letters he just sounds like a fun guy to be around chef's kiss he sounds like a character. I think I like him. I think I like him too. He's just so fucking. The fact that these guys exist are just hilarious to me. I love it. I enjoy it all. I I enjoy this part. Although Montague didn't dismiss the idea that there might have been a vampire at Croglin, he felt much was questionable about Augustus's account. In his 1929 book, The Vampire in Europe, Montague repub- republished Augustus's story along with the first chapter of a work known as Varney the Vampire. That doesn't even sound good. Yeah, how'd you like to get finger banged by Varney the Vampire? Not. I'm good. Just not. It's, it's literally the earnest of vampires. Oh, no. I think that's someone's bag. It's just not mine. Ernest, Ernest goes to camp. Mm-hmm. Ernest saves Halloween. You just Varney. get Varney. Save. I would it's like Eric great. or Bill. Please and thank you. All right. We get it. You like True Blood. I do. I love True Blood. Couldn't get past the seventh season. I couldn't, I couldn't fucking do it. I mean, it gets a little out there. It gets real fucking out there. Let's, but I love it. I don't care. I'll see it. I'd climb up like a fucking tree. I was a Russell Edgerton fan myself. Okay, well, no. I mean, I do enjoy how deranged he is. D- Dennis O'Hare is just phenomenal. He's a phenomenal actor, him. and he is great in anything he ever touches. So, shout out to Dennis O'Hare. <laughs> <laughs> well, I keep on calling him Eric Skarsgård, but that's not his. That's not his last name in 
the show. That's his actual last name. I can't remember what his last name is. In Northman. Northman. That's right. Yeah, Eric Northman. Because he started Northman the movie, and it wasn't about Eric Northman, and I was very fucking upset about it. Hmm. Like, how are you going to call it Northman and it not be? It was the Eric. Norseman. Was he? Was he was in? Not Northman. Well, then why did it say Northman? It said Norseman because he was a fucking Viking and it's Norse mythology. Well, Eric Northman was also a Viking. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. This is what we're doing with this episode. You're not going to win. You're not going to win this argument. I'm, I, I will. Until I'm blue in the face, I'll argue this one. Doesn't mean you'll win. I'll let you guys. We'll, we'll settle this <laughs> off, Mike. <laughs> this exercise was intended to reveal the similarities between the two texts, thereby suggesting Augustus's narrative had been heavily influenced by Varney. Varney the Vampire, or the Feast of Blood, is an enormously long tale that was first published in a series of Penny Dreadfuls. Cheap, sensationalist stories that were printed in pamphlet form, put out weekly, in weekly installments, and aimed at working class men. The Barney the Vampire Penny Dreadfuls came out between 1845 and 1847, and in 1847 they were also cobbled as a book. They were all put together in like a little volume. And when did... uh? His book come out, The Story of My Life? Uh, it came out 1859, so 10 years after the fact. Mm-hmm. Yep. In 1924, Charles Harper decided to investigate the legend. Not overly convinced about the validity of the account, he traveled to Cumberland and began to research. Charles discovered that there was no such place as Crogland Hall, he did find evidence of Crogland Low Hall and High Hall. According to Charles in his 1907 book, Haunted Houses, Crogland Hall is probably the house indicated, but it is at least a mile distant from the church, which has been rebuilt. The churchyard contains no tomb, which by any stretch of the imagination could be identified with that described by Mr. Hare. The story was challenged by another researcher, F. Clive Ross, in the 1930s. Ross took the time to interview the locals and came to the conclusion that Crogland Low Hall was actually Crogland Grange. The Grange did not, did, it did have a chapel on the grounds, which was built on the foundations of an earlier church. One of the locals that Ross interviewed was a lady called Mrs. Parkin. The this resident of Ainstable. Ainstable? Mm-hmm. I hope I said that right. If I don't, don't tell me. He claimed to have personally known a descendant of the Fisher family. Mrs. Parkin indicated that he was born in the 1860s and knew the vampire story from his grandparents. The lady also revealed that the deed to the property stated that until 1720, Crogland Low Hall was Crogland Grange. Journal- journalist. Which puts it before 
1870 marker that a lot of people suspect it happened in because it couldn't happen in 1870 because the book came out before 1870. Uh-huh. So a lot of the speculation on this is wrong. And that's kind of where this, this guy like goes, oh, shit, this might actually went down. Okay. I'm here for it. Journalist Lionel Fanthorpe conducted a more recent investigation into the authenticity of the Kroglin vampire. His results suggest that some events could be genuine. Fanthorpe believes that someone demolished a grange or farmhouse during the lifetime of Oliver Cromwell. Hey, Cromwell. Halloween Town. Oh, God. Anyway. If the story is true, then it is much more likely to have taken place sometime in the century before the deed was altered. Ooh. Ooh. So what do you ladies think? Do you think this story has any validity or do you think it's just a really good ghost story that somebody told at a bar one night? I think it's a ghost story. Yeah, kind of. But I would also kind of like it to be true. This is one of the most popular vampire tales. Really? No, I've never heard of it. Yeah, in, never heard it's of it. in Europe. Oh. Or in, in the UK, <laughs> I should say. I've heard of it before. That's why I saved it for this one because it's skeptical. There's not there's not a lot of historical fact backing it. It's literally this this investigate because this guy was almost like an investigative journalist, a traveling a travel journalist. Um so he he found that he would like compile these stories from like people that would tell him stuff and it's like stories of my life and this is one of the ones that came from it but it, it kept getting built upon it's one of those urban legends that just never kind of like faded into the, the background so i would say there's probably some truth to it i believe there is some truth to all things do i believe that they found a corpse that had a bullet hole in its leg 100 percent. do i think that they found you know some crazy fucker breaking into the house probably yeah do i think it's compounding coincidence sure but it also could be a vampire and that's where we'll leave it for this episode Yep. Finishing out Vamptober. I know. But next month. Next. All right. So let's go ahead and tell everybody what we're doing. You want to do it? Yeah, let's let's go ahead and do it. Sam. Oh, I, you mean to do it? Yeah. Yes. We're doing cold cases. So we are running cold case because it's, it's winter time. We're going to be edging all winters. But... There's a fun little twist to it because I've made a morbid purchase that I love of three, three, yeah, three cold case playing card decks. I think two of them are from Florida and one is from Connecticut. Okay. Okay. I'm very excited. And we're going to shuffle them and one of us are going to pick a card. You like a card. Pick a card. Any card. Pick a card. Any card. So we will be doing that 
Um, the second week of November, I believe, is what we talked about because we're covering a AI cryptid the first week of November, I okay. believe. And then from the second week of November on until Christmas, we're covering cold cases. Cold cases. Two very big ones. Two very big ones. Very big ones. Okay. And I believe we might have a giveaway. We'll work out the... we got to work out some details, but we might be giving away one of the cold case decks. First giveaway. So we'll work out the logistics of that. But we got a special episode coming out on Halloween about the man who almost killed Halloween. Is there such a thing? Uh, there is. He tried. He damn sure ruined it for a lot of people. And it's the reason we have a bunch of dumb shit like Trunk or Treat. So. They don't even take the candy. Be sure to join us on Halloween. Check out that episode. And make sure you download it and share it with everybody on social media that Call day. Call your friends. Yep. Everybody. Spread the word about. The man that killed Halloween because it's one of the fatal rules of Halloween. Always check your candy. Yeah. Christian, do us the honor by dropping the socials. We want your downloads. Make sure you guys are downloading the show, liking it, sharing it. We appreciate you so much. Our intern, Lucy, is, you know... Loving it because we tell her about it and, you know, she does her thing. She skitters about. We'll get a video of her skittering. I love her little skitters. Yeah. She's so cute. Um, Make sure you guys are interacting with us. We actually really appreciate the reviews and reading them. The awesome comments on social media. And if you guys have any suggestions for episodes that you want to hear, we would love to hear them. We They're, do take those in account. I think we've added about six listener suggestions yeah. to next year's list. Uh, we basically have next year figured out. So, so we appreciate your thoughts. We we took six suggestions that seemed really cool to us and added them to the list. Yeah. yeah. So thank you guys for your suggestions. Everybody that put input in and... We'll see you on Halloween. Stay creepy. Bye. Stay spooky. See you on Halloween.